You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. You know, Frank and I, busy guys, schedules sometimes do not work out, and that was the case tonight. So I was forced to go solo and this on this go around. So thank you for joining me and that's okay. Uh, We will survive without Frank. We are going to keep it moving and keep it rolling and that'll be just fine. So I guess some of the stuff I kind of want to talk about tonight, uh, some of the the stuff from this past weekend, also uh, just kind of some things I've been thinking about generally and I don't know. I, I think there's there's a lot of really interesting things there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Eric Bledsoe. I want to talk a little bit about Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Bucks bigs in general, um, and we'll kind of see what we all get to there. So, um, man, I'm not sure where exactly I want to start. Let's start with... Let's start with Bledsoe, and I kind of mentioned it on last night's podcast, but we didn't get into it a ton, Um, but that's okay. I want to get into it a a little bit more, Uh, and you know, since it's my own soapbox and I can kind of go where I want to go today, uh, that's what we're going to do, and I I think Bledsoe's really interesting because... I think in the aggregate, no matter kind of how you view, uh, I guess how you view basketball in general, he, he's been good as a Milwaukee Buck. I, I don't even, I, I don't even think it's arguable. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you can, can really take that from him because as a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, he's been a good basketball player. And the, the main thing I think holding people back from that is his playoff series, obviously. is just, you know, that playoff series where, where things didn't go well because, you know, if you look at Eric Bledsoe last year, 17.8 points per game, uh, 5.1 assists per game, 3.9 rebounds per game, uh, 35% three-point shooter as a Milwaukee Buck, uh, 54% effective field goal percentage. Like, you know, there's there's a bunch of stuff there that's good. Like, I, I don't know if it's it's top five point guard in the league good, or maybe even not even top 10 point guard in the league. But like, I just think it's, it's really difficult. And I guess the point guard position in general is just kind of difficult to judge because, you know, there's, there's this proliferation of really strong point guards in the NBA right now. 
And because of that, it's really hard to, you know, kind of grade out what's good or what's bad. And, you know, if you're above average, you know, what number does that mean you are in the league? You know, well, how many point guards are you doing that out of? Are you doing that out of 30 point guards? Are you doing out of 20 point guards? Uh, To be an above average point guard, do you have to be in the top 10? Do you have to be in the top 15? Do you have to be in the top 20? You have to... It's really hard to kind of parse through all those things. And there are so many good point guards right now that, you know, I think a lot of people will kind of judge the the things that he does wrong uh, very harshly. And I just think it puts him in this really interesting category where, like, he has flaws. There's no doubt that he has flaws. Um, obviously, we've talked about the, the lapses in defensive judgment. We've talked about the lapses as a playmaker offensively. Um, and, you know, like all of those things come through. But I, I guess the thing that always confuses me is I'll, I'll get a, a ton of tweets at me about how bad Bledsoe is. And it happened after that Clippers game where it's just like, oh, he makes all these bad decisions. He never knows what he's doing. He shoots the ball too much, like whatever it may be. Like you hear all those things. And I I guess I just kind of have to push back against it because, you know, there's some bad point guards in the league. Like maybe you don't think Eric Bledsoe is quite good enough for you. Uh, but there's some bad point guards in the league, and he's not among them. Like he, He's among the good point guards in the league, and maybe he's near the bottom half of those good point guards, but he's a good one. And I, I just think, like, you know, I hear stuff like, oh, you know, if you're a point guard, you take care of the ball in the clutch time. Like, you got to be able to trust this guy. Like, he has to be able to go out there and make these plays. And, you know, like, I, I just think that's I don't want to say an outdated view of the point guard position, but it's a view of the point guard position that simply doesn't apply in Milwaukee. Like it, it, the the times Bledsoe has to do those things are times where you know other things aren't going well. Like it, if he's the guy being counted on, if he's the guy that you're asking to make plays. That means someone else is unable to do so. And I, I just think back to that Clippers game. Like in overtime, the Bucks went to the Bledsoe Giannis pick and roll because Bledsoe was the only guy bending the defense. Bledsoe was the only guy that was able to beat anybody off the dribble. Giannis was struggling doing that. And so then in the overtime, when the Bucks go to that because he is able to do that and he makes some mistakes, it's, oh, that's Bledsoe's fault. It is. like It's impossible to take that from him. Those turnovers happen. You can see him clear as day. Or, you know, the, the floater that he misses, uh, the floater that he gets blocked. Like, all those things, like, they happened, but the ball was in his hands because Giannis was struggling to beat Gallinari off the dribble. So, you're now upset at Bledsoe because he's your number two or three guy, and he's the only guy that can beat someone off the dribble he was the only guy in that game bending defenses and because he was the only guy that could do that now he has to be the one that takes the blame uh because he's the only one that can do it and he makes some mistakes doing it and i just think it kind of got buried that you know he forced overtime 
<laughs> he hit that three. Uh, you know, he did have a couple of assists out of that. He did have a couple of scores. Like he, he was finding a way to find some success at some point, which is why Mike Boonholzer went to him down the stretch. And, you know, I, I thought it was, at times it was kind of the same thing in that Nuggets game. Like, yeah, he made some mistakes late. Like he shouldn't have taken that. He shouldn't have gone for that layup. Like that was a mistake. He had a turnover. Like those things definitely happened, but also, you know, he has that two minute stretch where he essentially brings the bucks back into the game. They're down 109, 105. He gets a steal, he gets a block, he gets two buckets, and all of a sudden the Bucks take a lead to go up 110, 109 because he went out there and made those plays. And I I guess it to me it's just really interesting that, you know, he he's just an easy scapegoat and I get it. Like it's easier to blame him for those things than, you know, it is to say something like, Oh, well, you know, Giannis was not able to, you know, get his guy off the dribble. So, you know, we should put some of the blame on Giannis. It's just easier to blame Bledsoe. And it's difficult to blame Giannis in that situation when he does put up the monster numbers that he does. But as we've talked about, like that's just kind of his floor. He's such a solid player that that's his floor. So he's always going to have monster numbers, but you know, there are, there can be some struggles with those monster numbers. And I don't know, it's just this, it's this kind of weird thing that, that has happened with Bledsoe because uh, as I mentioned last night, I think throughout this season, he's played within himself. He's, he's found a way to, you know, limit some of the turnovers, uh, down to two turnovers per game. Uh, and I would have to check the per 36, uh, but the per, yeah, the per 36 turnover numbers, the lowest of his career, two and a half turnovers per 36 minutes is the lowest of his career. He's limiting, he's limiting the turnovers and he's able to, he has the best assist numbers per 36 of his career. And he, to me, he's just kind of found a way to be a part of the system and, and not overloaded and, and not over dribble and just kind of found a way to fit in. And I think it's been massively important to this Bucks team. And I just always, it just always feels like he's the guy that gets fingers pointed at him when, you know, he, he's, he certainly deserves some of the blame. I'm not going to say that, that he should go, he, he should get away with you know making mistakes in clutch situations it's just that you know the team ends up relying on him because of his unique his unique skill set and it, obviously he does have to do better and he does have to turn the ball over less but you know like he's in those situations because he can kind of do some things and I just always feel like the things that he does well get overshadowed by you know the mistakes that he has in those situations so um I think that's the end of my soapbox, but it, it is just something I, I ended up thinking about throughout this weekend because, you know, I thought he won them th- that Nuggets game, like that stretch where, you know, he was just kind of incredible on defense and get a couple scores. Like that was exactly what they needed. And other guys made plays. Chris Middleton made a big shot. Malcolm Brogdon obviously had the steal and the three pointer sequence that we talked about last night. But, you know, like there's just been, I just thought that West Coast trip was an incredible an incredible look at Eric Bledsoe kind of figuring out his role. Maybe he isn't scoring as much, but, you know, he's finding a way to create for others. He's turning the ball over less. He's really embracing the idea of 
shutting down guys defensively and not doing it through steals or not doing it through like incredible one-on-one man defense like you're not gonna iso me like he's gone through this and you know he's found a way to fight over the top of screens and kind of have a selflessness to his defense that has really helped this Bucks team slow guys like Steph Curry like Damian Lillard like Lou Williams like uh like Jamal Murray, he's been able to help slow those guys down. And I just think it's been hugely important for this Bucks team. And uh, so shout out to Eric Bledsoe. I, I feel like he's had a really nice season and, you know, like the, the numbers aren't eye popping and uh, you know, part of, part of that is because he is playing just 28 minutes a game, but you know, part of it is that he's playing within the system. So uh, I think that's been a big deal for this Bucks team. Another person playing within themselves, within the system, I think has been Pat Connaughton. And, you know, he's really interesting to me because we ended up, we ended up talking about it last week, but, and we talked about it pregame and, you know, Connaughton's a guy that played 82 games last year for the Blazers. You know, you've heard me say this a number of times, he played, I think, 18 minutes a game last year for 82 games for a Blazers team that you know, was a playoff team that in the Western Conference, like that's saying something. So he was playing for a contender would be the wrong word, but a really good basketball team last year and found minutes. And this year didn't find those minutes early on and now has kind of come on strong and uh, found a way to get himself into that rotation when Mike Boonholzer decided that he wanted to stretch the nine-man rotation that they were using out uh, through the first three or four games to 10-man rotation. And I just think, I mean, he's been he's been really good for this Bucks team. And, you know, throughout the, the first 12, 13, or 10 and 3 now, so 13 games of the season, you know, I've talked about how, and Frank and I, or I guess Frank and I have both talked about how, you know, with Dante DiVincenzo, the shooting hasn't been there, and that remains our biggest question. And, you know, like you're not going to feel totally solid in his future prospects until you see him start hitting threes. He's 24.5% right now from three. Um, so, like, you, we've, we've said over and over again, like, that's it. Like, that's the thing. Like, you have to be able to shoot. And, you know, he's kind of won us over by doing so many of those other little things. He, he does always find a way to go out there and make an impact on the offensive glass. He finds a way to sky in for a rebound every once in a while. He finds a way to get an assist. And, he, you know, he finds a way to make plays. And, and that's obviously incredibly helpful for this team. But, you know, that shooting hasn't really gotten any better. Uh, he, he still is willing to put it up there and as we've talked about like that is sort of half the battle obviously you want to make threes but in this Bucks offense you can't be afraid to take threes and slow down the offense and he's he's been unafraid uh for that point uh in in his 19 minutes per game through 13 games like that is that has not been a problem he, he will keep shooting it but he just hasn't been making threes and you know when he's doing all those other things like that helps him stay on the floor but with Pat Connaughton in the mix I think it's been really interesting to see, you know, 
Pat Connaughton does all of those those little things as well. That you know, when I'm talking about, oh, there's Dante doing things again. Like he's he's just doing stuff. Well, Pat Connaughton kind of does some of those same things, and uh, you know, it, it, I don't think it would shock anyone that both Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo were kind of NBA Combine freaks. That both those guys put up huge verticals. That both those guys, you know, put up great athletic numbers because you know they both kind of do some of those same things. And, you know, we've seen Connaughton have a couple poster dunks. We've seen him find a way to use his athleticism. And I don't think Dante quite knows how to do that yet, but he is he, he is kind of capable. You can see some of those things. Uh, but Pat Connaughton is kind of the, the more refined version of what Dante DiVincenzo is, which makes sense. He's 26 to DiVincenzo is 22. But on top of all of that, he also hits a bunch of threes, shooting 36, it looks, yeah, 36.7% thus far in the season. And I mean, that's just a huge difference. And I mean, with the little things that he does, it's just, he was blocking threes over the weekend. Like, that's not a thing you see people do. And he is a a little bit prone to jumping around a little bit too much defensively, trying to block too many shots because he is pretty good at it. Uh, but you know, he, for for a guy like him uh, to to come into that game against the Nuggets and and go out there and block three shots, they were all jumpers. Like he's not getting dudes at the rim. He's not meeting them there uh, to try to go up and block a shot. Like he's out there blocking jumpers and I just thought it was really impressive he bit on a, a an up fake and step through move and still managed to block it I think it was on Jamal Murray um or maybe Gary Harris I can't remember which one I think it was Jamal Murray so he gets a block there he blocks a couple other jumpers and he's just all over the place and I think all of those things really matter especially from bench guys and then I think I had mentioned it during the, I think during the Saturday game uh, against Clippers, but it was like, I wonder if we're at a spot where, you know, where Pat Connaughton overtakes Dante DiVincenzo and kind of the role that they have where Dante DiVincenzo won't be all the way out of the rotation. He'll just kind of switch spots with Pat where, you know, Pat's going to take probably five to 10 more minutes a game. And sure enough, in that Clippers game, he got the whole fourth quarter. He got overtime. Uh, so he ends up playing 26 minutes in that game to Dante's 15. And then uh, when you look at that Denver game, uh, Connaughton ends up playing 18 to DiVincenzo's 13. And uh, I just, I've just been incredibly impressed with Connaughton. And I think it shouldn't really come as a surprise. Obviously in Portland, he, he had good minutes and he found a way to make an impact last year. But I, I, there was just this in, in the game against the Clippers on Sunday, he found a Giannis on a pick and roll where it was just like a perfect kind of spot where he made the right cut. He was a threat from three. he, put it in the shot pocket, got the defender come out to him, runs the pick and roll with Giannis, looks to pull up. As he looks to pull up, he throws a nice little pass to Giannis. Giannis gets a dunk. And then, you know, you've seen in the last week, you've seen Connaughton get some kind of backdoor cuts, some baseline cuts where Giannis has found him on a bounce pass and he's gotten a dunk. And I mean, we saw Tony Snell kind of live off Giannis chemistry for, for two years 
maybe Connaughton has a little bit of that. Maybe Connaughton has found a way to kind of get that chemistry with Giannis early on. And, uh, you know, with Giannis at times, I think struggling with kind of what his role is, how we can make plays, where those plays will be to be, where those plays will end up needing to be made. Like, you know, having a guy like Connaughton that he does seem to have some chemistry with, that does seem to be able to cut open uh, a defense, does find a way to get himself loose. Like, I think that could end up really helping out. And, uh, you know, I think that Nuggets game is kind of a, a perfect example. He has just two points, but he has three assists. He has three rebounds. He has three blocks. Like, that is the, the whole idea of, you know, what we were talking about with Dante, just doing things that find a way to keep himself on the floor despite not hitting threes. And Connaughton is doing those things and then also hitting threes. So um, I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And also, I don't think it's the worst thing for, for Dante DiVincenzo to play uh, some fewer minutes like we we all know that the rookie wall is very real uh, we've seen countless bucks rookies hit it so you know if you if you move dante down a little bit in the rotation maybe that helps him get through the 82 game grind maybe instead of playing 20 minutes a night that goes down to 13 to 15 and he's still getting a bunch of reps he's still playing serious important moments but He's not playing quite as much, and he gets to, you know, hopefully extend himself a little bit further into that season, maybe hit the wall a little bit later, maybe get through the wall a little bit quicker. Um, and I think it could end up being really helpful for DiVincenzo to see a guy like Pat Connaughton who has kind of carved out a role for himself in the NBA as you know, a guy that does a lot of the same things that, that DiVincenzo does, that, that does find a way to use his athleticism. And again, I I always kind of feel bad in these situations comparing a white guy to a white guy, but, uh, you know, it just kind of works in this situation that, you know, I think these two guys play similar, play the same position, play similarly that, you know, Connaughton isn't, always finding the best ways to use his athleticism, even though that it's there. Uh, You know, he's not maybe the, he's not going to drive and finish off one foot and, you know, maybe he's a better two foot jumper. And, you know, like I just think there's a lot of parallels there. And I wonder if this will end up being a really fruitful experience for Dante DiVincenzo uh, to kind of see how all of that works and, and what that will be like. So um, I think it's just something to, to kind of keep an eye on. And I'm going to be curious to see how it goes. All right. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about on the day was I'm going to save Giannis's free throw shooting for tomorrow. I just want to talk a little bit more about Giannis's struggles uh, with Frank, and uh, as that is something he is quite passionate about, I'm I'm assuming that he will have some takes for us on tomorrow's podcast uh, as we get ready for the Bucks' upcoming game. Uh, or the Bucks next game as they start this homestand uh, on Wednesday against the Grizzlies. So, um, you know, as we get ready for that one, I think we can, you know, just hang out for, a, a, we'll save that for, for Frank. We'll, we'll do the preview. We'll talk a little bit about Giannis, his free throws, because I know that is something that, you know, maybe Frank will break his microphone, microphone over. So um, that should end up being fun. But last thing I want to talk about today was a little bit about the Bucks bigs. And, you know, I thought this was a, a 
pretty rough weekend for Ursani Leosova. Like it just looked like, you know, some of the things you worry about with Ursan where, you know, he's he's a little bit slower than you would want an NBA forward to be. He's uh just kind of a step slow. He's aging. He's he just kind of he's very Ursan. Um I think we saw a number of those things kind of come through where, uh, you know, it just wasn't his best weekend. Uh, that Clippers game, I think he ends up having just like a five point game, uh, against the Clippers and, uh, seven rebounds and assists, like just one of two from three, um, just didn't really find a way to make an impact in 23 minutes. And then, uh, you saw him fall out in 17 minutes against the Nuggets. And, you know, it was just kind of a rough go of it for him. And I'm going to be interested to see how he gets used throughout this season because, um, Brooke Lopez shooting the ball as well as he does kind of, I mean, kind of takes him out of the the spots where he could really thrive. Like when you look at Brooke have a a 37 minute eight for 13 game against the Nuggets. uh, And then you also see Brooke have a six of 12, 37 minute performance against uh, the Clippers. Like, you know, those are kind of Ursan's, if there were more minutes for Ursan to have, if he was going to be closer to 25 minutes, that would be, or 25 to 30 minutes, excuse me, that would be kind of how he could get there. And, you know, Lopez surging takes that away a little bit. And I just think it's going to be interesting to watch night tonight because, there's there's going to be some nights where Ursan is obviously the the better choice than Lopez. There's going to be, you know, smaller bigs, guys that are just too quick for Lopez to handle, guys that might make him struggle in the pick and pop. Like all those things could happen and Ursan will find his spots. It, I'm just curious about the ebbs and flows of all of that. I'm curious about, you know, the jumbo lineup and and how that works and I thought at the start of the year that was really giving the Bucks a lot of good looks where, you know, you'd see Ursan in one co- corner, Brooke Lopez in the other, and Giannis working in the middle of the floor. And I thought it kind of opened things up. And we haven't seen quite as much of that as of late. So um, that's something I'm keeping my eye on. And, you know, when Brooke Lopez plays a lot, that means less minutes for John Henson. But, you know, still at the same time, he, he had that three that he stepped into, that trailer uh, dump dump off three, which is just kind of a ridiculous thing to even think about uh, because, you know, you don't really expect that from John Henson. So going to be interesting to watch kind of what happens with the bigs and, you know, how long does does Brook Lopez's hot streak continue for? Uh, What teams is he going to be able to play against? Uh, Obviously, with the Grizzlies coming to town, I think another one where he'll be just fine because obviously Mark Gasol is a mountain of a man as well. And, uh, Lopez would uh, almost certainly be the best possible matchup for Gasol, who's going to play uh, 30, 35 minutes. So, um, you know, maybe that ends up being uh, another game where we see a little bit less of Ursan. So, um, how he finds a role and how he finds his way in this, in the Bucks rotations is going to be, I mean, really interesting to watch because uh, we haven't seen 
Mike Boonholzer really loved the Giannis Ursan big look where it's those two guys as the bigs. Like that just isn't something that they've really gone to a lot this year. And, you know, I wonder if that's something that Mike Boonholzer just doesn't like. Maybe that isn't something that we're going to see. And, you know, that was something that really helped keep him on the floor in Philadelphia was, you know, when there would be the center lineups with just Ursan, they'd spread out the floor and and that really helped Ben Simmons go to work. We haven't seen the Bucs do a lot of that. So um, I'm not sure how it would all work out. uh, And I'm not sure, you know, what nights Brooke Lopez can and cannot stay on the floor. But um, just kind of I think there's some interesting stuff there in the rotations uh, for the Bucs because, you know, I think every night you're – you're feeling confident that Giannis is going to play 30. You're feeling confident that Middleton's going to play 30. You feel confident that Bledsoe's going to play 30. And you feel confident that Brogdon's going to play 30. So, you know, that takes out a lot of it. And, you know, you just kind of move around and slide around those other minutes. And um, that can, at times, make things a little bit more difficult because maybe guys don't get into a real good groove. But at the same time, Mike Budenholzer has kept the guys that get those minutes consistent. Maybe he hasn't kept the minutes that those guys get consistent. But, you know, it has been the same 10 all year. And, you know, they're kind of getting used at similar times each night with other players that they're used to at each night. Uh, It is a a lot less... uh, a lot less disjointed than kind of what Jason Kidd was doing with his rotations where guys would hop in and out and there'd be drastic swings in their minutes and, and all those things. That hasn't really been something Mike Boonholzer has done. So um, I would assume that that probably will please a number of players on this roster, but uh, we will have to see where all of that goes. So uh, should be fun. And I look forward to having Frank back again tomorrow. And as always, uh, if you guys have questions, concerns, things you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter. Um, one thing I didn't talk about was my spots in each of the stadiums. I know a couple of you have requested how I feel about road arenas. Um, Staples Center was weird on Saturday. Um, that is just kind of, I think it, I'm I'm curious to see what it's like for a Lakers game because for a Clippers game, it's just a weird vibe. Um, I don't know if people are as excited and, uh, I don't love the spot that they put us on. It's in the, on the baseline in the corner, um, just about at floor level. So you have some obstruction at times. I didn't love that seat. Um, nuggets in a corner up about 10 rows, not the worst view of a game. It kind of felt like, uh, a little bit higher than like a 2k corner view i don't know if anyone's ever played on one of those like or you have a friend that insists on playing that even though it's a it's a silly angle um so that was kind of the look there um i like the pepsi center there was good energy there it was really interesting uh they kept doing a let's go nuggets chant and if you say let's go nuggets with enough people and enough volume, it kind of sounds like let's go Giannis and Giannis nuggets don't totally sound together. But like when you get a bunch of people saying it together, uh, it was strange to like, keep looking around and being like, sorry, are they doing, is that a let's go Giannis chant? Oh no, nuggets, nuggets. Okay, sure. Um, so that was kind of weird. Um, Oracle, great seats. I'm, uh, and again, I can say this now that we're a couple days removed. I am 
so incredibly sad that I did not get to hear an Oracle on fire eruption because that was probably my first and last trip to Oracle ever because they have a new arena next year. Um, so I'm never going to get to hear what that place sounds like as Steph or Clay or whoever gets it going or Draymond gets a technical or anything like that. Like it was a pretty muted crowd, uh, great seated Oracle about mid court uh, near the top of the first level beautiful seats. Those are my favorite seats. Uh, that was the same kind of seat I had in Portland middle. Also Portland had candy, uh, right by the, the media area. So I was chomping on candy throughout the game. That was fantastic. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm sad about Oracle. I will, I will say that I'm sure Bucks fans aren't because the Bucks won and kind of took it to the Warriors, but you know, I'm, you know, the Bucks still could have won if, the Warriors made it interesting in the third quarter and made it loud in Oracle, but alas, that did not happen. So that's okay. Um, that is your NBA arena re- review for the West Coast road trip that I just finished up. So that is going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. Frank will be back tomorrow. We'll preview the Grizzlies game. We'll talk a little bit about Giannis and his struggles and his missing free throws. And hopefully we can get Frank through that segment without him destroying either his laptop or his microphone or somehow punching me through the phone. Um, So we will do all of that tomorrow. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.